Hi everyone, this is Holly Herndon. I'm Matt Dryhurst. And you're listening to Interdependence. Hey, Dada Bots. Hello? 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 <laughs> Dada Bots beatbox. Leave a message after the I feel like, Yeah, I feel like it's been a long time coming. It's something we've discussed forever, and then schedules get crazy. And the good news is that we've postponed it so long that we have all this new stuff to talk about. Um, for our listeners, would you mind maybe introducing yourselves collectively and individually, just so we We've got that base covered. Sure, yeah. We're, uh, we're Databots. We're extreme AI generative music producers uh, slash R&D lab. Um, and we, we started out of a hackathon, and we met at Berkeley College of Music. And n- now we're trying to eliminate humans from music. I, I mean, uh, make... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Well, this is, this is my joke. I've said this to CJ before, but I think I should say it to everyone is like, I've always, so first off, it's a, it's a great honor to have you on. Um, you know, uh, I, I will fawn over you. You've been both of you kind of at the forefront of, uh, ML music work for years before anybody cared. The world is coming around, uh, is coming around to, to a lot of the work that you were, that you were doing years ago now. Um, and I also often make the joke that, you know, in the future balance of, uh, of, you know, AI music, uh, we, we assume the role of the angel on one shoulder. And oftentimes you assume the, the, the role of the devil on another shoulder. There's a perfect, there's a perfect wonderful antagonistic dialectic balance there between. <laughs> yes. The universe is in balance between us. We contain multitudes. Yeah. We're, we're like explorers the, holding down the North and South pole. Um, and, making a, a wide space uh, an inclusive space for everyone in between <laughs> totally particularly the bots that are going to take all take all the human musicians jobs right <laughs> that's right that's right um, yeah. I, lots of our fans are excited to bring on skynet um, I think we get the uh, I for one welcome our AI overlords comment a few hundred times now <laughs> <laughs> so just tr- just for context though uh, but can you give a very short introduction to yourselves? Like, how did you get into this? This is obviously, you know, it's a it's an atypical thing to be really passionate about. <laughs> yeah, I guess our, our origin story starts when we were interns at Berkeley College of Music. Uh, just, you know, very bored, talking about all kinds of other fun ideas, trying to avoid our, our real live jobs after college. And we decided to go to a hackathon where it was music tech... Um, kind of focused and it was put on by the echo nest which later was acquired by spotify and they did all the really cool echo nest remix stuff that got us started and that was like this concatenative synthesis based on waveform analysis at the beat section level that just allowed you to kind of shuffle and uh, bring in the next nearest timbre to every type of beat uh we immediately realized that we had these kind of different skills. I was studying music technology composition. 
uh, CJ got me really into computer science and just started telling me, hey, like the end goal of all this signal processing, music tech, um, it's all really going to be enhanced by machine learning soon. Uh, start paying attention to machine learning. And we made our first goal uh, at our first hackathon to uh, basically demolish SoundCloud and cripple oh, them that. with viral remix bots that looked at their followers and created a really sloppy non-AI remix, but just a concatenative kind of mashup situation. Uh, so that, that's what brought me into uh, machine learning. Um, it was it was CJ's uh, influence when we uh, first met. <laughs> so yeah, CJ, what, what was your perspective on, on that early? Oh yeah, story? well the influence is highly mutual because uh, Zach, uh, after studying me, me, uh, music technology, actually ta- taught me a lot about uh, DSP uh, and he, he taught me how to use Max MSP he taught me even the con- like the concept of Fourier transform and like why it worked, uh, and he was my introduction to all, all of that. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, honored to actually have te- teamed up. Um, and and I think uh, Zach, like I was your introduction to Python and JavaScript and some sort of mo- the more computer science section yeah. of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so we did, we did this skill swap and just you know have been raising each other up by our bootstraps uh, and this like continues has been yeah, continuing on for a lot, like the entirety of our friendship and oh when, when, when we first met i was like zach i feel like i've known you my whole life <laughs> yeah we were playing a show uh just in separate bands and you know we were introducing ourselves and uh it was a very odd moment i i thought cj was definitely tripping uh, but he, we were just actually that enthused and like connected at the moment. It was, it was super cool. Uh, we went later went on to just, you know, continue to be creative together for years. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty odd, and, it, and, it, and it comes across, I mean, like you've been insanely prolific and and I mean that beyond, of course, the fact that, you know, the first time I think I encountered your work was you were publishing um, these bots to YouTube using some kind of custom derivation of sample RNN to basically create infinite, you know, grindcore or <laughs> uh, <laughs> so prolific even beyond the fact that your music just continues to, yeah, I, I can't imagine how many hours of music you've produced together now. It's surely some kind of world record, actually. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but prolific in terms of how, you know, uh, yeah, how often... Uh, how often you're bringing new projects to the fore. I mean, so much to the, to the point whereby I, I'm almost kind of hesitant to like emphasize biography too much and just want to talk about like the present a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, you know, there's already in the past year, a couple of things that I know you're working on that, you know, this field is, is evolving so quickly. Like, you know, and, and I feel particularly for the podcast, it's like, people are going to want to know like what the state of AI music is, what there is to get excited about, what there is to get worried about. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we were first doing stuff with sample RNN, uh, we weren't really sure how to show our results and we didn't even know if people would listen to it as if it was music. Um, that might seem pretty odd now that we have AI song contests and all kinds of clearly musical creative outputs being done with it. But it was not very clear that it was worth listening to at first. And finally, after spending 
almost a year just generating with sample RNN and trying lots of different modifications. We came up with um, this black metal album that I just decided to dump on Bandcamp. It was just a curation of a couple of the nice moments that were really cherry picked um, and some yeah music critic type uh, futurist people started talking about it. And that's when we first got the attention that showed, okay, people will listen to this. But even then, it was a lot of manual curation. And we really wanted to get to the point where we showed what what was unique about it. And that's where we got into these, as you're saying, like infinite 24-7 generators. And it wasn't until we kind of hit the right data set with uh, a, a death metal uh, band Arcspire that we were able to just dump everything uncurated. Uh, and that's what led us there, I think, was just wanting to show, hey, this is different than static music. Um, things have changed a lot now. And yeah, as you mentioned, we have many different projects, but that was what initially got us really excited to show why things have been different than they were in the last, say, 50 years of uh, recorded music. I thought it was really clever that you all chose black metal as a genre because it, of course, really flattered the kind of state of the fidelity at the time. It was something that we were struggling with when we were making Proto as we had these like really high fidelity recording sessions with our vocalists. And then we had these kind of like, I call them scratchy, but like kind of just slightly distorted sounding um, generated um, audio files and trying to make those live in the same sound world wasn't always easy. So it made a lot of sense that you all chose um, black metal because it just that's what it sounds like (laughs) (laughs) right that's the whole aesthetic of of black metal is recorded on the worst equipment possible (laughs) Uh, there's some urban i don't know if it's true or not but like one of some of the early black metal was recorded on um like a drive-through uh headpiece microphone (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing <laughs> yeah, totally. This is this is definitely dipping back into my youth, but but are you familiar with the term necro? Like necro necrophilia? Oh, kind of, but but the, the, there was this whole thing. Uh, Where is uh, this in, going? <laughs> incidentally, incidentally, I used to, I used to have many friends in the black metal community many moons ago when I was very young, um, and uh, there was a term necro, which is basically like you know the most kind of cultish, the most true. Uh, uh, black metal is intended exactly to be the most ugly, right? It's like, um, and if you listen to like a lot of those early like Dungeon Synth records or whatever that I was discussing with friend of the pod Sam uh, Sam Forsyth uh, actually last weekend, it is. It's like texturally, it's supposed to be murky and awful, and and to such an extent that like. You know, I have to say that, you know, jumping back a couple of years, 2017, 2018, where there are very few people in the space, I saw two distinct camps in the AI music world, right? There was what you were doing, what I believe we were doing at the time, which which I thought was actually like the most aesthetically interesting that was experimenting with these low fidelity textures that now I kind of romantically have an association with, right? Like, and then there were people more on like, let's say the corporate side playing around with MIDI and like coming up with these Mm -hmm. symphonic, perfect sounding things that apparently an AI had something to do with. Um, And at the time it seemed, it seemed like a huge shame, right? Because it, it felt very much almost like the tape music period where like the works, I trusted works that sounded like shit. And I mean that in a good way, right? Like, cause the sounding like shit was like very distinctive and very, as Holly said, scratchy or like, 
texturally just so iconic of that particular period. And of course, where we're going to go now, uh, or at some point in this conversation, is in a sense, we're kind of moving past that period already, right? So it makes that period even more romantic in my eyes. Uh, that's true. And, and you know, I if I hear uh, a music that's called AI, and if I don't hear any weird like if I don't hear AI weirdness, if I don't hear neural synthesis artifacts to it, I kind of don't trust it. Um, and, and having, having met a lot of those companies in that 2017, 2018 period, uh, that were using AI as a marketing tool and as a, and a, a sort of a buzzword to get investment. Um, a, a lot of those processes were manually constructed. Uh, of, of course, like, awesome and a lot of work went into them uh, and we know some of the uh people that were building like f- like film score algorithms uh and you know there's a lot of work that goes into that but you know ca- calling it ai was sort of distracts from what you know what was happening with uh neural networks and neural synthesis uh and um and yeah and and moving forward i th- i hope i hope that weird music becomes the dominion of AI and not so much trying to make this perfect pop that sounds exactly like everything else. Uh, we're far more interested in in taking music where it hasn't been yet. Mike Patton is a big influence on us. Uh, and (laughs) as someone who's extremely prolific that we're like, Oh, we could be prolific in multi-genre too. Uh, maybe we need algorithms. Uh, and he, he has a quote about computer music. He says, the further away music is for music, the healthier it is for music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's also taking me back to a previous. I'd, my first job was working for Ipecac, actually, which is a oh. strange. Yeah, a long, long, long time ago, around about when I was really into black metal. Um, yeah, no, and you're totally right. I mean, I think, I think we share, we share that feeling where it's like, there's a new aesthetic opportunity here. And yeah, it feels like a great shame to kind of, limit the potential of this stuff, you know, by setting this weird benchmark, which is, you know, super high fidelity audio that's imperceptible, right? And you see that a little bit with the image generation stuff, right? Like already there is this kind of aesthetic of, you know, there's an aesthetic of EQ GAN, there's an aesthetic of Dolly, um, and people are into it, you know? And in fact, it communicates something. It, it, it will invariably lose something when it finally gets to that point of imperceptibility. Right. And, and we're, yeah, we're, we're starting to, to move into the high fidelity realm. Uh, and, and that's one of, our, of the goals at the, uh, the new, this new AI music lab Harmony, uh, that I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm super stoked about. We should talk about that. I'm also stoked about it and I want everyone to learn about it. What the hell is Harmony AI? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the grassroots so, open AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're a, a nonprofit, uh, open source m- music uh, neural synthesis research lab that has access to ton- like co- so much GPU, like an absurd amount. <laughs> it's just, uh, the, we're, we're under the umbrella of stability, which Ahmad says they have they have more GPU than NASA. I, I haven't like double checked the- those numbers, but four thousand A one hundreds. He wow. said it's more, more it's than insane. NASA. It's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the previous uh, state-of-the-art in neural synthesis uh, for large models that have been trained on you know th- thousands of artists and hundreds of genres uh, was OpenAI Jukebox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if, you, if you do the math out, 
it, it took them like a few weeks on 512 GPUs just to train that. And the cloud compute budget to train it once would be $2 million roughly, which is not something that any of us have access to. Right. Uh, so, you know, we've been in this other realm of training models that uh, can work on training data of one album or like a, a, a one band's discography, mm -hmm. uh, like Sampler and Catch a Waveform, uh, and you know, recently Rave. Uh, th these kinds of models which can train in a few days, much more accessible. But to make something like Jukebox, which ha has seen so much music that it can create fusions uh, between styles, between artists, uh, that, that's what really, really excites me. Uh, and it, it hasn't before been something achievable uh, at, at our scale. Um, and, and corporations that do have those, uh, do have all that GPU at their scale, they're also kind of afraid to even go down that realm because of the tricky copyright issues um, and the, the fear of deep fakes and the fear of having like a Tay sort of situation that Microsoft had. Um, and Google has, uh, people at Google have expressed to me like their hesit hesitation to try do something like Jukebox. Uh, so it's nice now that there's a new contender in this realm that has all the resource, that has the, the willingness to train these large models. Yeah, I think what's really cool about them too is unlike some of the larger corporations, they're very focused on embedding artists and engineers. Um, I guess to like Google Magenta's credit, they've put focus on this too. And I think that's the way to go. Uh, we want to have not just the scientists determining the future of what these super powerful, uh, disruptive music models do, but I think it really, really needs to be a group effort to make sure that these are ethically implemented and done for musicians, uh, not just to musicians. And that's what I really like about how the team is being set up at Harmony AI. So would you say this is a philanthropic organization? Like, is it, I guess, cause everything is to be open sourced and fully transparent. Like what's the, what's, what's the catch? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that, that has been, uh, what, uh, uh, Zach Sikowski and Zach Fano and me and Scott and, uh, the others, uh, in this, in this group, we're, uh, you know, approaching it. Like we want to, there's an oncoming Renaissance in uh, music synthesis. The, the same, like we saw last year with, uh, vi visual generators with Dolly and, uh, clip scans. Um, and we're, uh, we're about to see that for music. It just, we just have to make the models faster and more accessible and it's going to explode. And I just want to see that Renaissance. And a, a lot of us, uh, you know, just want, you know, want to, Want, want to make it happen for everybody and make it accessible. Uh, so, and, and that, that was also my requirement for joining is that, it, you know, it had to be open source like this. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and for, for stability that the, the parent group that's, uh, supporting all this with research, uh, with resource, it is, it, it's, yeah, it definitely, it's definitely a philanthropic thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Ahmad, has some really great ideas about um, how to, you know, su support third world through the UN. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be in it. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I mean, uh, w we expect at some point to have Ahmad on to talk about the bigger vision behind stability because I do find it, it it's pretty interesting. Um, 
it, it it's pretty cool in the sense, right, that like it also feels like there's only a limited period of time. In a way, right, this kind of greater goal that we would definitely share of having artists kind of at the table while all this stuff's being figured out. There's a number of different ways to approach that, right? Like the big players who obviously have they're also big targets would maybe approach this in a more sensorious or very cautious manner. Um, the difficulty with that, of course, is that more people feel more invested in this stuff when they can play around with the tools and just kind of get their head around some of the weirdness. And it feels like, to me at least, there's maybe a couple of year uh, uh, period in which the generations are still alien and strange enough to that the, there's actually like it's actually kind of fine to invite as many people as possible in to be, to start experimenting with this stuff in order to try and define some parameters for the space. Um, and so, yeah, so in a way, like in a way kind of accelerating this stuff into public consciousness through making it super accessible seems to make a lot of sense because at least from our side, I mean, as you know, you know, we, we've been talking about this stuff for years. It It's only really when these large image models started to become more public and people started to actually get to play with them that you can actually have a conversation with people about the broader implications of the space. And it feels like it's really positive, at least if, if this is the goal of Harmon AI, it, it's really positive to, to put that stuff in front of people so that they get a little taste in order to be able to understand that this is, it's not the future, it's the present, right? I, I think it's important that a technology doesn't create too much of an imbalance in society. And we, we, like we always talk about demo, like democratizing technology and democratizing AI. And what does that mean? It really means like making the, the research and the AI accessible to like regular people to, to toy with. And, and as something that can, uh, uh, like not only is just like they're archived, but is pulling people into it to start exploring. Uh, for, for example, I've, I've started to teach uh, a couple beatboxers how to use GitHub to cl- clone a repo, how to you know pip install, how to use a command line, how, you know, how to train Rave, for example. Um, yeah, uh, you know if if music is your introduction to AI or even technology or, or Bash scripting or Python in, in the first place. Um, then awesome. You know, that's just one more uh, step towards literacy. Uh, and the, the more people that are on, on that are you know on that, the, the less uh, equality we're going to see because there's more people that want to understand the space and two like participating in it. That, that sounds good. And I mean, okay, so to play angels advocate here, uh, using our devils and angels uh, uh, device. So when we're talking about these kind of sticky, hairy IEP issues, wh- what's your feeling on that, right? Like, I mean, we've been pretty... We've been pretty vocal um, from our side about, you know, let's say the long-term considerations and implications of this and like how, in a sense, it, it, we feel it's kind of something that really will need to be addressed. I'm curious what your position is, because let's just say if I were to make a straw man argument about this open source philanthropic ideal, um, you know, if I, were to, if I were to try and critique that, I would maybe say something along the lines of, well, you know, it's one thing to uh, provide accessibility to everybody, but... Uh, you know, will that lead to greater or more equal outcomes if, for example, we don't figure out a uh, some kind of a remuneration regime for artists whose work is being used in training sets, etc. Right? Um, and I'm sure you have a I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. So I'm, I'd be curious I'd be curious how you feel about that in in the context of let's say Harmon AI and uh, and this kind of greater goal of giving people all the tools necessary to make stuff. Uh, th- that's a great question. And like how. Exactly, all of this will evolve. Like, what will the infrastructure be? 
um, you know, how will artists get remunerated? Will will tra- training data be get you know get royalties, uh, or will it be more, more of a free for all? Uh, these, these are gr- great, great open questions, and I, I, I don't really know what, which pattern uh, will will be the sticking pattern, and it might even be sh- shifting uh, decade to decade uh, as as people's attitudes shift. Um, but I think what's important is experimentation, um, and uh, like uh, allowing all the different forms to proliferate, and uh, like th- this this idea of. Uh, that I know yeah, you guys are, are into and also is something that Zach and I were working on in um, 2017, 2018 as well, is trying to come up with a licensing scheme for, for remixing where yep, yep, yep. Uh, like you, you, um, something that Creative Commons didn't address was uh, like, could you have, have, a, have a license where you could use all this audio material um, and if you, if you make any money, then some part of it returns back to the to the source. And there's there's no uh, like license like that. Um, and uh, and so I, with like Holly Plus is like an like an awesome sort of step uh, in that direction. And and I like what what you guys are doing. And I, I could see more things like that happening in the future. Um, but you know, also on the other hand, uh, I like. I, I want to see all new kinds of music explored, like new kinds of creativity uh, that, you know, s- somewhere in the gray area of fair use, like, you know, like, yeah. like what, what happens if you combine this, like the styles of two very big, like popular artists and to create a fusion artist, and, and you're sort of, you know, edging that line of, you know, it, you know, is is this derivative content that requires you know permission from those two artists, or you know, uh, is this something in the collective unconscious? Uh, or, you know, is is it something t- totally new and novel? And I I I, I think that um th- that those forms of creativity should 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 be allowed to proliferate, and and people should be exploring it. And I, and I think that it's for for the. For those of us that have a risk tolerance, I think, like, just, you know, go for it. And, you know, maybe some of them will get in trouble, uh, but I, th- I, it's, I, I think it's, it's important for the, the world to experiment with that. Um, for, for example, we, we, we got to, t- uh, we generated Frank Sinatra singing Britney Spears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which sounds great, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, we totally got a YouTube takedown for that. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think I actually agree. And I think this is why in a way, um, when I use the angel and devil on the shoulder, I think, uh, long-term, uh, it's definitely my opinion that both will exist. And I think also when it, when it comes down to it, right, like you kind of need for there to be more accessible, um, really, really powerful, large models, like, the ability to generate, for example, really coherent works, um, trained on a lot of, on lots of different kinds of music in order to be able to, to do that, uh, high fidelity, you kind of need for that to exist for more, let's say bespoke approaches, kind of like Holly plus to really shine in future. Right. And so in my mind, whereas I could, I could easily kind of make the argument that we're, that we're, you know, diametrically opposed, uh, uh, philosophically. I actually think it's way more complicated than that. I think that 
these are these are two complementary approaches that will that will kind of augment each other because you're totally right right like you know we can't also um, find ourselves in a really censorious overly cautious regime in which every little bit of training information is litigated and and accounted for and whatever you know and and and, and basically foreclosing all the weird chimeras that will come from from this experimentation, right? Um, but and at the same time, I don't think that there's any. That, that it doesn't necessarily need to be like a. It's not an either or approach. I think that like more bespoke approaches, like a Holly Plus, and and I'm sure many others, um, will ultimately benefit from that surge of interest in this tech and and also you know in in these kind of large, more general models. Uh, 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 in combination with with other things, you know, so so that's definitely my approach. Is I, I think that I think we're kind of on the on the same page. You're just definitely you're just definitely uh, you, you know you're you're pouring gasoline on on really bringing this conversation to the fore, which I think is absolutely necessary. <laughs> Burn. No, <I'm> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, and and you know the the art form, the gener- like the infinite music. Uh, generator is, you know, is an art form and, it, and it's a human art form. You're, you're creating uh, a process and like, uh, you know, cr- creating music as a process uh, rather than a composition is just a completely, totally different way of, of approaching it. And, but you know, it, it isn't new either. You have artists like John Cage that have been, uh, you know, exploring this um, in, the, in the last century. Um, and I, you know, I, I just love that as a, as an art form, uh, like, C- uh, trying to come up with something like relentless doppelganger, the twenty four seven death metal generator. We had to tr- train hundreds of nets and, and tweak them and tweak the training data, you know, just to get it right. And, and it's a lot like brewing beer. You know, you have to get all the initial parameters just right, and then you, you wait a long time, and then at the end you taste it. And, and if it, you know, d- did it taste good? Did it taste great? Is it, is it worth keeping? Are you going to tweak, tweak it further? Uh, you know, that's the process, and it's, it's a long process. Uh, and, um, so yeah, it's, it's, we, we joke about, uh, you know, that we just push a button like, like, like the, on the, the last year's AI song contest, our submission was called can't play instruments. And the album <laughs> cover is a picture of me and Zach sleeping, like drooling while the computer says generating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? I think there, there's this I, I, idea that, um, that it, it's just, you know, it's so uh like decadent um and like the, the destruction of of the art form when you can just push a button and, and get it and and there there will be that there will be that but there there's a light at the end of the tunnel there because anytime that content creation rises to the level of immediacy it actually tr- transcends the level of communication yeah and for example talking Talking is, is content creation. Yep. And, you know, in human evolution, it used to be that not many people were talking and maybe a few people, uh, had a mastery of language and they were sort of, you know, pedestalized. Uh, they had a lot more power and then, then it became like, okay, no, no, literacy is a human right. Everyone's got it. Uh, and you know, this, this is how we grow and communicate. So I think content creation over the next thousand years, if I'm going to, if I were to think, you know, the next thousand years, AI is really a communication revolution where if I can, you know, 
I can ex- express to you exactly what I mean through through image and media and m- multimodal uh, s- sensory generation. I agree. I mean, I think that's the thing is just like, it's also uh, one of the reasons why I'm kind of excited by this push to put tools in front of people is that I think in many cases, there's also a, uh, there's a danger of like over skeuomorphizing, like what this represents for music, right? Like I love the fact, I mean, you're, you're being, uh, you're being provocative with the idea of, of saying, okay, well, I just, you know, I'm just generating this stuff. Of course, that's a ridiculous, uh, that's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I can't imagine a more bespoke process than, than these uh, nets that you, mini- you know, that you've, you've kind of manipulated and trained in, a, in an illaboriously uh, a custom way to produce exactly the outputs that you get. Um, but I think exactly this oftentimes, you know, we're used to approaching this, augmented kind of centaur approach toward music making from this very 20th century vantage point where it it's placed in opposition to uh you know virtuosity with an instrument or whatnot and in actuality where this stuff is already going with uh you know with image generation and soon with with a lot of music generation is exactly more just like a different mode of communication and the, in that you will find just as, you know, the mode of communication with releasing music in the late 20th century was an album. There were great album artists. There was nothing organic about an album, right? An album is a very particular way of communicating a very particular thing to people restricted by the affordances of a wax disc that you could share around the world, right? Um, And with once these tools are fully integrated, this is at least our kind of argument with Dolly and what's coming next in music, uh, is that it's just a new mode of communication and, and cream will rise to the top. There are going to be people who find really, really compelling ways to integrate this into their practice. There's going to be people who find really compelling ways to make this a new expressive art form. And, you know, getting us as close to that as possible is the exciting part, right? It's not, uh, it's not an either or it's not, you know, uh, being a, being a beautiful harpist or something like that is not losing value for the fact that some people can choose to evoke a harp just by thinking about it. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's just kind of augmenting and it's really, really the early days of a new form of expression. Um, and, and yeah, so, so I, 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 I'm kind of with you on that too. I think that, you know, in, in 20 years time, we'll look back on this and whatever alien species of, of, of expression come out of this period are just not going to be a skeuomorphic fit with how we understand music generally, which is colloquially speaking, like generally speaking, is a very particular time in the 20th century where people, you know, uh, fixed, you know, four to five minute, three to five minute songs on wax disc or whatnot. Right. You're right. <laughs> and I, I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of, uh, yeah, th- thinking about the music industry is, is, yeah, it's, you're right. It's a, tw- it's a 20th century sort of w- way of thinking. And I like your choice of a, a skeuomorphic for it. Um, cause yeah, the future's gonna be way weirder, way weirder. And, you know, honestly, you know, anything that's just new and, and di- weird and different when it comes to music is the healthiest thing that could exist for music. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, I, I come from extreme metal. I was, uh, playing in, uh, metal core, death, math core bands in, in high school. And I'm like, okay, like how, how much further out can we get, uh, with our instruments? 
and you know those genres uh, like you know fr- free jazz noise uh, are you know ways to get way 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 out there into the avant-garde um you know like a way out into space to, to make a new discovery you know there's like a, oh wow there's, there's a whole alien planet here that is you know actually self-consistent uh, like you know math core ha- sort of you know all the polyrhythms and odd type signatures and dissonant chords uh, of it actually uh, and surprise um like it ob- obeys these rules of of uh, deception and surprise in the in the composition and you know it's it's a self-consistent world that's completely different from popular music um and it's like okay well, what else is there and you know from from there my uh my journey went to electronic music and using DAWs trying to make IDM glitch and break core and then you know as, as Zach was saying machine learning seemed to be like the the, the next step forward and, and the way I see it it's like we're making us uh, we're building a spaceship and so in, in the cosmos uh, with our telescopes, we've identified all the stars uh, in 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 our galaxy, um, and uh, you know th- those are the existing st- styles of music that we know about. But with with a very large neural net with a latent space where you can ex- explore, you can explore the space between. Um, like you know, what what about all the the empty v- vacuum? What about the you know maybe hit the hidden dark matter, you know in the in between all the stars, like, well, you know, what's there, you know, is, is there, you know, hidden, hidden alien worlds there with, you know, like, like I, the, the excitement of it just, um, is, is so palpable. <laughs> I can't, I can't do anything, but, but, um, work towards that. In that vein, I'm curious, um, what's your kind of like fantasy bit of tech that you wish you could get to do something like, so for example, with the Holly plus thing, like we were kind of fantasizing about getting like a, a natural singing voice, which we have now, we haven't released it yet, but we, we have that now. And I can kind of like have her sing however I want. And it's amazing. I can just feed her scores. And it's, that was like my fantasy of what I wanted to happen. I it's finally become a reality. So what is your kind of fantasy that you would love to see come to fruition that hasn't quite become a reality yet oh, I, I think it's the the genre knob like if, <laughs> <laughs> like if my synthesizer had a genre knob um like you know you hold down one key it's it's generating music and then you just t- turn shift the genre and it's morphing and t- taking in what it just made uh and producing the consequence of it but you know from a change in context and you know in, instead of pl- playing notes you're playing styles and you're mixing styles and it's a, it's this real time interactive system. Uh, that's kind of my near future fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Are you trying to build that? Totally. Okay. <laughs> that's that's totally like, we have real time synths that work on small data sets and we have large data set models that aren't real time. And it's just a matter of time when we can get both. <laughs> um, and, and, and actually, another fantasy that we have is that we're working with this band uh, from Berlin called uh, Compressor Head. Do you know them? I don't, but I'll look them up. Yeah, they're, they're actually a band of robots, okay. uh, actual physical robots that play real instruments. Oh, wow. are, oh yeah, they're crazy. I've seen them. Uh, yeah, this is crazy. Okay, go <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they still play drums, uh, bass, guitar, and there's a singer. Um, and yeah, we, we met with the team. They actually don't didn't have any programmers on the team. They're all hardware people. So to construct their live shows and they've played like, you know, giant, giant shows they've toured around the world. Um, 
and to, to, to do their shows, they do cover songs and they manually construct every single servo movement just to play a cover song. It takes them weeks just to do a single song. And I'm like, wow, okay, no, if, if we could use algorithms, we can, you know, make that instant. Maybe I could turn a, you know, guitar pro tablature into yeah, amazing to yeah, compression head <laughs> format and, and go. And, and then of course, once you have that, then you just hook up the generator to it. And then you, you could play the robot band with your genre nub. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. You should incorporate an NFT angle so it can be like the ultimate uh, Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> just be like this is what you guys said this was so <laughs> here's Chuck E. Cheese forever <laughs> that's right yeah everyone thinks they're going to a metal concert but it's just the Chuck E. Cheese thing on loop wow the images from their concerts are pretty amazing and hilarious yeah it's amazing I wonder if they were involved in any way with the whole Tachelis scene this is very I mean, uh, like esoteric the de- dead chickens that, that, yeah. that was like a collective of um, Berliners back in the day that would make kind of like animat- animatronic uh, giant animatronic artworks um, there was some in Tachelis there was also one in Haus Schwarzenberg in Mitte do you know do, does any of this ring a bell for you Oh, I, I don't know about this history. Ah, you would, I, I think you'd probably be into it. Check it out. The, I think they're called dead chickens. I mean, that's kind of hard to Google. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let um, me just Google that right now in image search. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually yeah. it's you, dead chickens. The fastest way to get banned from your Dolly two invitation. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not that bad. It's dead chickens. So, you can find it. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think the, the craters came to Berlin in like the eighties, and, and the robots are made entirely out of scrap metal. So it, it's very, very likely those groups are connected. Yeah, I'm interested yeah, in history. That would make sense. Very cool. Yeah, it's funny. It also reminds me a little bit. Um, Survival Research Labs. Do you know about these guys? Mm-mm. Oh my god, it's so your shit. Honestly, you should look them up immediately. They're <laughs> an incredible. Like art group that would construct these insane almost like daredevil installation sets where things would like like go on fire everybody involved with survival research labs is like missing a finger or something Um, we went we they had like a massive space in oakland and they would throw these big parties and we went to one where one of the games was called like dance dance immolation (laughs) where like you would put on this suit this like fire retardant suit And basically you would have to dance in line like with the game. But if you missed a step, a fire, like a fire breathing machine would like toast you. (laughs) 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 They're, they're honestly, they're, they're really, really a very special, uh, uh, yeah. Survival research labs. I can't believe they're alive still. It's crazy. (laughs) Mark Pauline started in, in 1978 by Mark for, Mark Pauline, the group is known in particular for their performances where custom built machines, often robot- robotic, compete to destroy each other. <laughs> it's so up your alley, honestly. Yeah, SRL. You should, I mean, honestly, we've, I, I, I believe I met Mark a couple of times in the Bay. He would be around and doing stuff, but they're like definitely of that spirit. Um, <laughs> love it. No, I lo- yeah, love that spirit. Yeah, d- dangerous art. Um, yeah, danger music. I think there was like a, a movement in Japan 
um, where famously an artist, uh, a noise artist as their performance drove a bulldozer into the back of the venue. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who, who was that? Uh, that story's familiar. Hanata Rush. No, Hanata Rush. Okay. No, I don't know who they are, but it's Osaka. It sounds like a Masona related thing. Cause yeah, the, the Osaka noise scene is like notoriously unhinged. <laughs> this is also going back going back in time but yeah masona who is one of the osaka uh, uh noise guys i was like deep into him when i was younger it was definitely he would do yeah he would like i think i saw him at the garage in london one time and he perf- he flew from japan and he performed for nine seconds <laughs> he like ran from like the backstage grabbed the mic screamed this like it sounded like he was dying and then like jumped and then left the stage. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> I, saw him, I saw him play in Tokyo once and it wasn't much longer. It was a little bit longer, maybe like three minutes, <laughs> <laughs> three minutes. Wow. Okay. That's- well, there's also the famous, the famous example. I don't know if this is folkloric or what, but Einstürzen de Neubauten. Um, oh, the ICA. Yeah, they brought paratours to the ICA and they tried, their, their argument was their performance was trying to dig a tunnel from the ICA to the to Buckingham Palace to uh, to go meet the Queen. And so they started yeah, like deploying paratours at the ICA. I don't, I don't know how much of that is a, is folklore, but um, yeah, but th- there's a legacy of this stuff. And I absolutely see, I mean, for context to listeners, um, uh, CJ CJ was was late today because people were playing with power tools in the space that you are at the moment. So it's kind of like it's a very uh, yeah, it, it's very much a lineage. You're contributing to a great legacy. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. No. I, I when I think of true like true artist, these are the examples that come to my head. Um, and it just searching, I think the, the bulldozer. What was it? Yamataka I, who was a part of the of Naked City and the and uh, Boredoms. Oh wow! Cool. Um, and yeah, and and like, yeah, well, what what is the the dangerous version of of AI music? Like, what what else? What else could it be? Well, to be honest, I feel like playing very casually with uh, with IP is probably more dangerous than any paratool shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, seriously, dude, right? A, a team of Disney lawyers is pretty scary. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very masochistic it's like like holding the sword of damocles over my head yeah yeah aaron schwartz was put in a far more perilous position for, oh, uh, for, no but right. i mean I'm, but being serious it's right like ip ip will will get you put away will will uh yeah ip can ruin your life it won't you won't lose a finger um True. Uh, but, uh, but but that said, not meaning to not meaning to bring the conversation down. Um, but but mm-hmm. I would qualify that as 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 playing with fire in some ways. Maybe not literally. Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely playing with, playing with fire. One hundred percent. And yeah, R.I.P. Aaron Sports. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the sadder moments. I, I remember the day hearing hearing the news. Um, and I, I yeah, I did all, yeah. Also Wait. known as his brother. Um, and yeah, just. Creative Commons and trying to open, make the research open. And oh my God, my heart goes out to Aaron. Yeah, same. I mean, you know, the silver lining around that story is though that I think that um, at least academics were able to renegotiate some of their their rights when it came to publishing through things like JSTOR. I mean, 
you know, it's still not fully public and, and available to everyone, but I think that at least the authors were able to re- receive a royalty in some fashion. I believe that was the outcome. Is that right? Do you all remember? It's been a while. I think uh, one thing I will say on that though, is that like, would you say that this is a position? Cause okay, look again to like, to, to play angels advocate here, I could frame this kind of play as reckless, right? If I, if I wanted to, if I wanted to critique it and, and kind of attack it, I could say, okay, well, this is, this is, this is a reckless approach. Would you say my counter argument to that would be that in actuality, as we've seen with a lot of kind of leaps in experimentation with more permissive IP stuff, actually what's happening is that from an artistic perspective, oftentimes people are kind of speed running, like, speedrunning the inevitable, right? Like bringing forward a conversation in order for people to be able to deal with the reality of this nascent tech. Because let's just face it, right? Like I'm, I feel very glad that you all are working on this stuff and are really at the forefront of it. But if you weren't, there would be other people working on it, most likely in research institutes, in very stuffy, let's say, uh, corporate environments too, where their their hands are kind of tied. Um, and you see the kind of a legacy of people really kind of taking, being daring with with IP, like kind of forcing forcing the issue into the limelight. I, I also, you know, uh, what comes to mind is um, Negative Land. Yeah. Yeah, Negative yeah. Land. Yes, yes, yes. It, exactly. Negative and it's like, in retrospect, in retrospect, you know, uh, the, the arc of time has been very, very, in fact, I would love to see some institution do a retrospective on Negative Land, given how advanced they were in terms of just where media went. Right. Um, but the arc of time has looked back very favorably over that approach because in actuality, all they were doing really was they were creating music as we do in the 2010s and, and 20, uh, uh, and, and 2020s, but they were doing it in, you know, in the nineties or whatever. Um, and so, so I, I maybe, I maybe like speaking too much uh, for this to be a proper question, but what would, what would, would, what would you say your thesis is around that kind of approach of just kind of like running into the fire or perhaps setting the fire and then running into it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so important. Um, and it's, it's inspiring. Uh, I remember, you know, being a teenager, you know, hearing about negative land and hearing about, um, girl talk and just, you know, th- these kinds of artists just, you know, inspire me d- day to day, you know, it, you know like what, what I, as a kid, I got into parkour and, and, and urban exploration. And, you know, a lot of that is about, you know, on a, on a smaller scale, just, you know, crossing, crossing boundaries to do something beautiful. Um, and, and, you know, the, even there's a whole manifesto on that concept by Hackham Bay, uh, that he calls poetic terrorism. Um, I, I, do you know that one? The temporary autonomous zone. Yeah, the Taz. Yes, the Taz. Yeah, uh, but feel free to talk about it. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just, just this this idea that, um, like you, there are like ways to to blo- blossom beautiful things in, in a drab world that tries to constrain everything in you know the hopes of ma- maintaining an, an order, um, and. Uh, and yeah, the, the Taz is just you know, one of those things that it just, yeah, it's inspiring in, in little ways. And, uh, and so yeah, seeing artists pu- push this in the context of art, you know, whether you're using power tools to drill to Buckingham palace or your negative land, um, uh, uh, making fun of you too, or something. It, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's inspiring on us on a small, um, 
in, in other ways, just having those as exemplars, uh, you know, there's, there's some like spirit that feels alive, you know, like I'm like, we're not just uh, dead inside repeating the same uh, going to, you know, working at some drab corporate beige office day in and day out. You know, there's like, there's something more to life. Um, and I, th- I think it's important to have those examples in our in our lives. It, it's a great tradition. Uh, obviously, the parameters in a weird way change too. When you know a lot of experiments that that would have been kind of made in that tradition, let's say before the ubiquitous internet, were kind of very how to put it like sandboxed. You know, in a way, I guess you could argue that like making those same interventions uh, digitally is where things where things went crazy, right? Because I mean, because genuinely, like, you know, all the work done for thinking about autonomy and and free experimentation prior to, let's say, a Napster or whatever, like that, that whole that whole piracy culture absolutely like plays into that great tradition of like tinkering with things and trying to create a space outside, right, where people can be more free and people can experiment. Um, and yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think, I think it is a it is a great tradition, and it's almost something now that like, it's almost something now that's that's kind of expected. I mean, I, I've been it's been really interesting. For example, at East Denver, where we met, <clears throat> and you were contributing to the hackathon there. Um, uh, you know, how many people, for example, I was talking to in the crypto music space, all of whom were acculturated on what CD, right? Uh, and, yes. Yes, which is really I, funny, and it's a funny <laughs> confluence because to 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 defend the space, right? It's like you're having this very, you know, th- this very clear kind of anarcho spirit in a way, but also simultaneously, these are the people who seem to be the most intent on getting artists paid, which is a really interesting confluence, you know. So it's not, so it's not like a. a uh, uh, so it's almost like in a way you're creating the space for free experimentation. Um, is not is not to be misconstrued as being uh, you know as being somehow uh, uh, anti artist or something. Yeah, that's right. And, and I also independently observed the same thing within that same community. Even specifically, what what CD? We had a long discussion and like over dinner with a group over how like all of us were using uh, you know what CD, and we, like uh, we agreed that actually that was one of the best music curation platforms before or since like something about how the incentives aligned on, on that site, uh, which is, um, you know, it was a, it was a private a torrent tracker. If, if you didn't know, um, where you had to maintain a, a upload download ratio. And so you could only d- download other music. If you yourself, uh, were sharing things and people were uh, uploading from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it, 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 it incentivized people to share good music that other people weren't sharing. And so as a result, you didn't get everyone just sharing the same Justin Bieber thing that everyone wanted. Uh, and you also didn't get random uh, stuff that, you know, what was low quality, like not as interesting music. You got these like, w- w- like a, l- a lot of avant-garde stuff that was really, really good. And it's because of that, just w- the, the music that uh, me and a lot, of, a lot of my friends were exposed to through, through what CD like completely influenced uh, please influence this and, 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 you know, Spotify and SoundCloud and, and Bandcamp, you know, these are very open platforms that you can find anything in there now. Um, but just, you know, as a, as a, as a curation platform, you know, what CD was amazing. And, uh, and, and th- those kind of early pirate websites, like uh, even SoulSeek or like DC plus uh, plus 
you know, also it, it encouraged the creation of the breakcore genre because all, all of a sudden you had all the you had the entire history of recorded music as your sample library. Yeah, uh, and you, ha- you had genres like you know plunderphonics, uh, and you could, you could pull from that, um, and 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 create new new works of art out of like tiny slices of audio of of a, of a lot of things. Uh, and so you know, in, the, in the here we have this d- dichotomy of like on the one hand, you know, you're, you're um, you know it's p- piracy, you know, uh, like you know how, how do we help remunerate these artists? And on the other hand, it's um, this technology, you know like leading to the, the creation of new f- forms of, of media of, of collage based media, um, which is b- brand new and it produces a whole, whole new feeling. And, you know, breakcore is just ma- my favorite electronic music is how I got into electronic music in the first place. Cause it just you know, did something that no other music could do. Um, and you know, and, and t- t- we're, yeah, we're t- towing this line. Uh, and it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and, and p- part, part of this reminds me of like what, what you were saying earlier, Matt, about, um, uh, about artificial scarcity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, h- how, uh, like, uh, like m- making all, all, like, can we create a world where like casual listeners can, li- you know, listen to everything. Yep. Um, but somehow, uh, make something else not so open in, in a way that's, uh, like you know, maybe the, the the license to remix it, for example, um, in, in a way that su- can support the artist. If you if you have a scenario where, in the twentieth century, like let's say before things got really online, <clears throat> there was by necessity, you know, just because of the physical cost involved and and this and the the inherent scarcity of physical objects that you needed to distribute, so on and so forth, there were these kind of pathways where, like, the way in which you experienced music or enjoyed music was really constrained. And then you end up in this scenario where, uh, with what CD or whatnot. And I, I personally, you know, I have some, uh, some critical takes on, let's say like the excesses of sampling ideology, the excesses of, of let's say completely open ideology that like there, I take some objection to the, to the absolute extremes of those arguments, but there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, when people, when information runs like water, you get more of a, more of like a, a, an impression of how people want to interact with media, like how they want to value things, you know? And, and I think that you'd be, I think that we'd all be kind of stupid to, to, to ignore that, that the actuality that isn't necessarily stripping things of value per se, but is maybe opening up different ways for us to approach how to value things and how to support people. And that's why exactly in the, I mean, I published that piece on, or kind of, I think this this paper, this very fragile argument of like imposed scarcity in NFTs, and 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 for me, it's more interesting to think about like exactly a feasible abundance, right? Like, what does it mean when the expectation is that everybody wants to experience stuff, everybody wants to have access to stuff? That's great. You know, how many experiments can we run then to figure out a way that you know the people that who do create a lot of value end up being able to make a living from it so that they can produce more value, you know, so they can bring more cool things to the world. That's in everyone's interest. And you, and you don't have to arbitrarily like foreclose possibilities or, or, you know, we're, we're probably all on this call, like not super into DRM, right? Like that you don't have to make this like a horrible litigious, litigious kind of laborious process in order to find that, that what's it, what's interesting in fact is actually to think of ways as I think some NFT projects have done successfully to think of ways 
for there to be value uh, exchanged and support exchanged in a in a paradigm in which we have this kind of media abundance. Um, it's it's just it's a really interesting question. I mean, it's an interesting challenge, but you know, but it's in everyone's interest to sort that out. You know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and like and it's it's there's this like rumbling of, of infrastructure of like you know which like it's like bubbling and roiling. Uh, you know p- patterns and structures and like ro- royalty systems and you know incentive structures and there's so many variations uh, of it. You know I keep meeting new, new groups that are exploring like a different variation on it. Um, and I, 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 so maybe w- one of these will stick as making a lot of sense. And but maybe it'll it'll make like completely different sense in, in different communities. Uh, like for example, like hip hop is a genre that has a long tradition of of uh, sampling. Um, and you know, st- starting from DJ Cool Herc, uh, you know, DJs sampling old funk records. Uh, you know, then through the '80s, the golden age of sampling, uh, uh, producers would sample other producers to give them a nod. Uh, you know, as like it's almost like a citation. Um, and you know, that really like maxes out with uh, like Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad, and just that like. Uh, like fear of a black planet. I think it had, you know hundreds, hundreds of records were uh, vinyl vinyls were s- sampled to, to make that record. It was beautiful. And then and then you know then major labels started su- suing people, and then people switched over to like eight oh eights and synths, and you had l- <laughs> less of that. Um, and you know m- maybe like within that within that community s- sampling, uh, you know th- there's like this so- social there, or like there was is this like s- uh, acceptance of like you know this this is how you do it. This is how we're communicating through the generations. Um, and but then, then maybe in in a pop, uh, you know, if you, if you b- borrow a melody or, or even, you know, borrow the that like the e- the essence of a song, almost. I think there's like a few examples of, of that that really like kind of toes the line there. Then you know, it, you know, people get mad. So um, uh, it's 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 interesting. It's there's like s- such a wide range of opinion, and it, we're, almost like we're coming to an, a trying to come to a consensus about how we want the system to work and. Um, and like w- w- one, one variation I imagine is like, you know, w- what if this was gift economy, um, you know, like in say, you know, at like a, an event like Burning Man where money exchange isn't allowed, like only, only gifts. Uh, and like, you know, what if all music was made available for, for free? Um, and, and what if all, what if all remix licensing was made for, free, was available for free? Uh, but you know, if you set up a royalty system, payment system, you know, here's my address to send back the royalties. So, so you, you might get like the benefit of like th- this could support me. Like, and uh, you know, like you don't need to ask permission. It's permissionless. Like, go, you know, go and t- take this, take take my audio and make some make something more and beautiful with it. Um, and yeah, the, and, the, and the, the balance of it is just sometimes mind boggling to think of. Yeah, I feel like it's time for a kind of like entirely rethink of how IP works. And I mean, that needed to happen anyways in like traditional media, but I think machine learning is going to force it to happen. Um, cause it's very strange when you think about it, that like a, a baseline or a drum beat or whatever, isn't, um, doesn't have the same protection as like a melodic line. And these things seem like, I don't know, almost random or like a vibe can't really be, I mean, you know, the blurred lines case kind of challenged some of this, um, that a vibe could be considered, um, kind of copyright or whatever, but it seems like the rules were set up in a very specific way to flatter a very specific kind of writing and industry that is is very much out out of date. And so I'm really, really curious 
curious to see how machine learning kind of turns it upside down. Totally. And, and there's, there's something that uh, Zach and I imagine. Hey, Zach's back. Hey, Zach. <laughs> Zach attack. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so, so something we're, we've been imagining is we're, we're calling this experiment the black wall. Okay. And, and the black wall is, is a concept uh, that we're uh, borrowing from uh, a cyberpunk um, where there's this uh, part, section of the internet that's been fired uh, firewalled off of, and there's rogue AIs that live here. Um, and if they were to be released in, into their actual internet, it would be the spell to destruction of the world. Um, and so we were like, okay, th- this is an awesome concept. And like, you know, um, Zach, Zach, can you talk more about the black wall? So yeah, the black wall is this world where, okay, we have, like we said, DRM that is upload filtering and monitoring all of the internet. And we have our normal networks like YouTube or Ethereum. And we have these kind of bot only networks behind the black wall, the bot zone where the bad bots go and we lock them up and, you know, they can learn from our world, but maybe they don't present anything to humans and it's no copyright threat. It's kind of like if the tree falls in the forest, did it make a sound argument here? And, you know, if a bot generates something that moves humans creation on say there's a globe of all possible music we will ever create in the future or in the past. And there's a bunch of points that have already been discovered. Um, We want to push the bot to learn from those, but how can we move beyond those right now? Machine learning sort of just interpolates what's already there. And we want to allow these bots to start being influenced by each other. The way that I listen to a musician and I want to write a song inspired by that essence or sample it. Um, bots have this ability too, um, because it, it's more than just sampling. You know, it's kind of extrapolated information. And so, if there's no audio rendered, there's no fingerprinting of the media. There's no content ID on YouTube taking down uh, these kind of like rogue false positive blurry area creations that have maybe some ability to be challenged by the original creators. How can we allow for this kind of world? Uh, is it a, is it a, some kind of crypto economy where the bots are paying each other and running uh, autonomously um, on some kind of cloud shared compute resources? And uh, I imagine this world is where, all the major labels have kind of merged and you know, we have these legacy platforms that are very, very policed and you have to go deeper and deeper into the layers of the internet. Uh, and eventually we're in the humanless internet. Uh, maybe there's a way for us to kind of have this like Oracle like uh, view of, you know, what was going on inside there. Is that just a, a latent space without a decoder? Do we lock up the bots and instead of throwing away the key, we throw away the decoder. So we never hear any actual audio, um, and and how can we allow for all of the parts of this musical globe to be explored? Uh, just kind of like the bots drift away from the herd of human musicians, maybe never to be seen again. Uh, this is this is the black wall, and it's it's probably far in the future, uh, but it's kind of behind the event horizon of the human internet, where we can't really see what's going on anymore. Well, that's wild. 
Um, I, I, no, I, I like it though. I think, I think there's something there. I mean, right. We haven't really seen, at least to my knowledge, right. Like the deployment of these narrow agents. I mean, to some extent it's like, it would be really interesting to see something like that done explicitly for, you know, uh, for training data, right. Like the ability for a swarm of agents to go out there and, you know, see like ultimately try and find what they ultimately decided was interesting um, as a kind of training exercise. And then you could see missives back from that conversation uh, in the form of generations that would come from that training. Um, I think, I think that that, that, that's one dimension we haven't seen too much of. I mean, we had uh, Daniel Suarez of Daemon fame on the podcast um, about a year ago talking specifically about, you know, autonomous agents and the kind of havoc or interesting results that could come from that. But I also think creatively speaking, it's very compelling, right? It's, it's a really compelling idea that, um, for example, did you see like some of the work that was being done integrating GPT-3 with um, Roblox? Oh, no. No. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. So, so for those who don't know, basically, so... But GPT-3, this very large language model that can create like very coherent, convincing, you know, convincing conversation or whatnot. There was some work done to take the NPCs, so like the non-playable characters in games like Roblox, um, and hook them up to GPT-3. So the idea being is that all of a sudden, these NPCs that you're used to walking past in games, you could basically talk to them all night, right? Um, and so... <laughs> each of them, each of them are given some priors, right? Like they have a job, they have some context to their character and you can sit there and there's a great demo on YouTube where like, uh, someone in the game is talking to this like hot dog salesperson in a get in Roblox. And like, they're just talking for like 20 minutes, you know, cause the hot dog salesperson knows they're a hot dog salesperson and they can just talk. Um, but then the next logical thing that comes to mind is being like, well, yeah, well, what if all those NPCs were able to talk to each other? Right? Like what kind of game environment would that be if, you know, like the NPCs were like conspiring to like change the form of the world in Roblox so that every time you played it, you're in, you're in this like alien civilization where the NPCs have taken over. Um, but it's an interesting thought because I mean, cause fundamentally, right. That is like, even when you look at like protein folding or, or any of these like actually kind of important, uh, uh, applications of these tools, fundamentally, you know, you're going to want for these agents to go out there and come to really unusual conclusions. So long as it's sandboxed in such a way that they can't like turn the power off, you know? Um, but, but, but it, it would be very interesting to see what kind of conclusions would be come to if many of those agents were in communication with each other and, and, and spread over the internet. I completely agree. I mean, it will definitely be treated with some <laughs> skepticism by some people, but it, but it's fascinating. It's a fascinating idea. Not for human consumption. Yeah, you need like a separate sandbox internet, right? It's just like okay, like <laughs> this is not hooked up to anything anything physical other than the servers. They're allowed to like yeah, they're allowed to go around and like learn from everything, and then come and then we can like derive uh, derive teachings from what they've learned. But yeah, absolutely not uh, not connected to you know uh, anything of real consequence. You know, it never worked that way. It always escapes. <laughs> it always escapes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious on that front like have you seen anyone deploying those kind of agents it, it feels to me like it's something that if it hasn't already happened uh, uh, quietly or stealthily uh, it feels like something that 
is around the corner. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it seems like it's something around the corner. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what the closest example to that would be. Um, but uh, but we keep coming up with designs for it, um, or designs in the step in that direction. Like for example, uh, one of the formats that we publish with is the twenty four seven live stream uh, format. So we're yep. just live streaming to YouTube constantly. Uh, but you know we also have scripts that can you know listen to a live stream and you know remix and process a live stream and send that out to another live stream so you know imagine now webs of live streams that are live remixing each other uh and even on the like youtube and twitch like th- this is that we can um yeah r- around the corner we can make it like an open source toolkit for for that like i think all the all the parts are kind of in place for that that's kind of interesting maybe do like a some kind of hackathon around that. I'm interested in how we can move beyond just the audio format too. Um, I think like latent space is an interesting thing to hack with and trading around models or latent spaces when they're somehow interoperable would be super cool model hacking beyond just the static audio or even live stream, uh, format. Um, I think that the music industry has been very focused on, recordings uh, there's like two copyrights there's you know your lyrics and your composition which comes from like the old days of composing uh for sheet music and then there's the recording but i feel like models are bringing this possibly like new type of ip and you know we can preserve some of the legacy recording uh copyright and ip that all the major labels and existing source artists that these models will learn from have created and are owed attribution and you know payment for um, but then there could be this more interactive experience where I could buy some kind of model or trade it with another model or blend these models or have them make beautiful babies or all kinds of new processes that are not just this fixed static, here's the perfect framing of my art, but like here is more like an interactive game that we're all participating in the co-creation of. I, I would love to see... Uh, more towards that. And I think real time um, generating and making neural networks faster or finding other methods that are fast is a great way to do that. I've been researching a uh, biologically inspired method called conceptors. And specifically, it's a variation of granular synthesis called conceptular synthesis uh, that (laughs) trains tiny, tiny, tiny little grains from an RNN that is random and untrained, but the output layer, it learns how to control this chaos. So it's a net that is guiding a net to do more what it wants it to do, even when it hasn't even been trained. Um, So I find a lot of interest in these efficient methods and in hackable methods where uh, we can kind of connect the the wires together and create new interesting uh, systems. Can you explain that again? So you're, you're, t- you're doing like, a, um, you're, you're training. I didn't get how the like wider form is being shaped or trained. You have these. Okay. Yeah. okay good, yeah. I, I wrote a blog post about it and have a video that we're releasing this week to try to explain more. I, uh, had learned this technique from Chris, uh, Kiefer, who is a, a researcher and academic who published a paper in 2018 about controlling recurrent neural networks with conceptors. And 
the recurrent neural network, it's, it's called a reservoir in this uh, literature. And the reservoir is kind of modeling the spiking neurons uh, in your brain that they have a signal that hits a limit and it just sends a signal off to the next uh, layer. And, and that's, that output layer is what we train. So on small, tiny little grains of audio, like two periods of a wave, like very, very small fragments, uh, a, an output dense neural layer is learned that can translate a random RNN into something that looks like the input pattern. Um, and so it's, it's basically the harnessing this chaos and translating what happens to that audio pattern uh, as it's driven through the reservoir and it learns what that transformation by the, the chaos net does. And then the, the learned net learns to harness that. Uh, and that learned layer is called a conceptor. So when you have little grains of this that you feed into a traditional granular synthesizer, rather than having a sample of a small grain, uh, you can generate that grain from an RNN. Okay, that makes sense. So can you describe the kind of audible of like, what does it sound like that's audibly different from like a, a, a normal kind of granular sampler style? Yeah, uh, right now it's fairly lo-fi. I'm at like tw uh, 20 kilohertz about. So there's definitely a lot of like noisy, gritty artifacts that are digital. Um, but I think that, you know, we'll, we'll smooth out past that phase. It's kind of early for these. Um, but what is really cool about it, there's this hyperparameter you can control called spectral radius and another one called leak rate. And the leak rate and the spectral radius are really interesting. They control kind of the stability and the uh, timbre and pitch range of the net at inference time. So not only can I combine these grains... Uh, by doing uh, Boolean logic, like this pattern and this pattern, but not this C pattern, uh, is an example. With Boolean logic, you could do interpolations between those outputs, so you could actually blend in the latent space um, rather than in the sample space, uh, time domain, and then uh, you get these really cool timbre, pitch, and it's, it's sort of like temperature in an RNN. It's kind of like how active the RNN states are, uh, as well as the speed, which could also be negative, and you can sample all the grains in reverse. Um, so really what these parameters are doing, it's like how much do the previous time stamps uh, influence my current one? Uh, how much recall is there for that time? Um, what is my pitch range? What is my timbre range? How complex do we want to allow this waveform to be? And what is the overall speed that I'm going to move through my RNN states, which are learned by my output conceptor layer? Uh, so when, it, when you hear the sound, it sounds uh, like a, a reconstruction of the original. However, we have all of these new ways to control it uh, at runtime as a musician. That's really wild. Yeah, I, I really look forward to hearing it. because I it, want to play with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because Con conceptually, conceptually, it makes sense. I'll definitely link to the blog post. Uh, I was I was reading it earlier, and I'm glad to hear like hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, yeah, but the away, yeah, exactly. Because like, cause with granular flows, who aren't familiar, obviously it's like it gives you the ability to kind of 
to, to manipulate sound almost kind of like an, as an object on like an atomic level, what you're describing is even stranger, uh, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to hearing it maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing it. And uh, yeah, w- one attitude that, uh, Zach and I are really going to ha- have, I think, um, I'm going to have, I think, yeah, moving forward. And also like just from the beginning is that like every different kind of neural net architecture you know, has a different personality to it. It's going to mm-hmm. make a different kind of audio, different kind of music. Um, and like, what, what are those things for themselves? Like that, that's always been our, our, our question. That's all. That's why we started with, you know, raw audio synthesis mm-hmm. and not MIDI and not trying to make perfect pop. Um, and, and, you know, a, a lot of the trend of other research groups is to follow this, the state of the art is to, you know, try out transformers, then, you know, now, uh, trying out diffusion and, um, and, you know, some people just forget about RNNs, for example. Um, but, you know, also, you know, RNNs have this really nice property that have, you know, haven't been, hasn't been explored yet. Uh, that you know now we're looking at, um, and you know that's just that's just really interesting. There's, there's something about the, the process of a learning system that creates something that you know that through through sound we can he- hear what's happening with it, um, and and a, a lot of musicians that we work with uh, when we take a bunch of their you know say like one hour of them jamming and then we use that as the training data and they listen back on it. You know, they, they have this epiphany of uh, like what it's doing. They're like, wow, like, like it's, it's like, like going into the, the mind of a system. Um, and, and when you, when you do this, it's, it's a different part of your brain that you, you exercise to uh, like, it's your intuition for like, like, how is it doing what it's doing? It's, you know, it's not a logical if, and system it's, it's about, you know, patterns and patterns and how, how it's structured. And the more you listen to it, the more it you like piece together and you know that that experience is, is powerful um and giving people that experience and like and the, the full spectrum of architectures uh is something that really fascinates me me too actually that was like the first time i heard kind of like sample rnn was like when things kind of like clicked i was like oh i understand the logic here and it wasn't even like I was that excited about the sound. I was excited about the kind of, um, yeah, the logic that was happening that I could actually audibly hear that and that that could be aestheticized in a certain way. I thought that was really interesting. So I love, it's really resonating what you're saying about how each individual kind of architecture can have its own sound and can even move on to kind of create its own genre in and of itself and to like allow it to just be <laughs> itself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And also the, and, uh, the other thing too, that we've, we've talked a lot about on the podcast but it's kind of like in practice this is also where i mean i really like this idea you're saying of training these systems on an artist and then presenting it back to the artist is as kind of like an auditioning tool that's where i find a lot of this stuff really flies and really sings you know just this idea of being able to say i mean i go back to someone like a david cope or whatever who you know was was initially using these tools as a way to combat writer's block right or you know just this idea of saying because because in some ways like when you make a piece of work and particularly when you make a piece of a piece of music that uh, that is intended to be performed in many ways you're already kind of auditioning a scenario in which you in the future are making this work right like you're thinking about a song but you're also thinking about yourself performing the song and you're thinking about the different avenues it could go in, you know, that's all part of the process. And so the ability to kind of customize these systems to, 
and be in conversation with these systems as a writing tool <clears throat> is, is, is incredibly powerful. Like just the idea of being able to say exactly like, you know, I have this ember of an idea. Where do you think I would take this next? And then auditioning a bunch of different possibilities and then diving in a little bit deeper. Um, I feel like we haven't even really scratched the surface on that kind of, that kind of collaborative relationship. It, it's, it's, but, but all the, all the potential is there. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, during the music writing process, your, your mind th- thinks about all the different directions that it could go in. Uh, and it's almost even perhaps archaic, uh, just out of the constraints of the format to have to boil all that down to one version of, yep. a, of a piece. Um, and and uh, when, when the format allows you to just include all, all the past that could go on, it's almost purer to like It's closer to what the, how the imagination is, is working in the musician as they're creating. Yeah. And it, and it kind of unlocks all kind of other things too, right? Where like we were talking, we wrote a piece on Dali and like, you know, one of the things that came up there is that it, you know, every, every kind of wave of technology provides this opportunity for us to value different, like different aspects of an artist's decision, you know? And so in some ways, I mean, the, the approach you, you all are taking m- makes a lot of sense. And, and it is this kind of untapped thing of like, what, you know, what would it mean if uh, a data bots release was actually splintering into a thousand different speed run possibilities at any point in time to the point whereby you could, you know, it's a choose your, not even a choose your own adventure, but just like go on your own adventure. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that makes, but that makes a lot of sense. But, but then of course, you know, imagining a scenario in which everyone had the opportunity to do that, then all of a sudden the, the artist's decision and artist's decision to say, no, actually this one, right? Like, no, actually, this is exactly the right gesture at this point in time, or, you know, or I'm going to choose to present this in this other realm. Like, all these kind of conceptual layers that artists already do just seem to me to become even more valuable in a sense where you're like, okay, well, like, who's going to, in the face of infinite possibilities, like, who's going to make, uh, uh, you know, coherent decisions over time that lead to a very distinctive practice or something like this, right? Like there's all kind of opportunities to intervene and to really kind of create signature approaches here that don't have to tie into, uh, or don't have to kind of, <clears throat> you know, fall into any kind of replacement narrative. In fact, it's quite the opposite, you know? Right. Uh, and then when the, when the, the format affords you the ability to be like pro- prolific in the amount of uh, like possible variation, um, it for- forces you to start thinking about like other other ways you can do it. Um, and so, with uh, say uh, g- generative music NFTs, for example, where you ha- you can release a thousand different songs, and each person that collects it is going to have their own version of it. And so now you know now I have like a thousand people getting. Uh, looking at the same thing uh, from different perspectives, and, and that's what we did with our uh, when we collaborated with uh, uh, Silverstein. Um, they're an emo band, and we made a thousand emo songs, uh, and you know everyone has their own song, and and uh, and when uh, when and like and, and I have one, and it's like this this is this is the, the like r- randomly through the chaos I have been given this song, um, this version of it. Uh, so now, now I'm thinking of like, like, okay, h- how do you push that even, even further? Uh, so now we, we want to make a thousand albums and we want to yeah. record them on cassettes. 
we want to record them on cassettes and release them as tapes like hidden throughout the world uh at like record shops and whatever uh and i just like just increasing the scale of it um and also this also augurs the the very near future in which uh, every spotify user will get their own personalized drake album <laughs> which is absolutely going to happen mark my words that is um given that i guess he's like he's responsible for whatever like double digits of listeners on there um but yeah but no but no exactly it's it's just a new it's a new medium to explore and like you you all are leaning very heavily into the kind of this abundance narrative or you know abundance chaos the fine line between the two um and it makes it makes a great deal of sense you know and and on top of that i also think you know it, it's there are also some songs you could argue that are perfect, you know, that like, you know, th- th- there are some, there are some songs given their time and their context and whatever it might be that, you know, even if, even if you can, it, it's very, it's a really interesting experiment to think about restaging them and revoicing them and re whatever. And, and ultimately all, all that experimentation is great and it might only serve to to value that that original one even more, you know, which is which is where I think a lot of this thinking also kind of comports with some of the NFT logic, right? Is like everyone should be absolutely free to make every version of it absolutely possible in combination with with new tech tools, etc. And you know the you know that there's there's a couple of songs that are that they're perfect. You know you, you could it, it, it's uh, uh, it would only be an homage to, to to that one perfect decision that was made you know by a human at that one particular time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's there's also this kind of meta level where uh, like a song could have the perfect surprise to it. Um, and there's certain genres like you know mathcore. Uh, is one of those genres, like a band like Dillinger Escape Plan, where like their their compositions are, are it's deception and surprise, like happening at the like r- really fast uh, t- at a really fast time scale. Um, but the the problem is like once you've listened to that record a hundred times, you've memorized the whole thing, and you no longer have that surprise factor. Uh, and you know I kind of saw this as a a bug that could be fixed in music. Um, and that with, with like prob- probabilistic generative music where it could always be different, you could like constantly have that sense of surprise. Uh, and it's almost like the, like the true essence of the music is that is experiencing that surprise. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of tragic that it goes away the more that you love it. Uh, and like, you know, can, you know, can we, can we fix that? Um, and that was one of the initial inspirations that Zach and I even started out about. Yeah. I think it's true with even functional music where you're trying to make, study music where you kind of want things that are familiar to your neural patterns, but not so familiar that you can predict them or anything where uh, you start to, to actively listen. And it's just kind of like going on uh, in the background. I've tried to extend music for that purpose with machine learning. And it's interesting you brought up Dillinger Escape Plan, CJ, because that was the first example I thought of where we failed to create a better uh, <laughs> AI rendition, right? One of our first Bandcamp albums was Calculating Infinity mm-hmm. uh, based. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that it became too random. Like the band perfectly created that anticipation, release of attention. Um, the neural network purely made it random. And while that at the surface might seem like mathy and progressive rock oriented patterns, it didn't quite 
get it for me. It had no meaning. It became kind of like a void of all meaning altogether. So I've, I've seen it not work exactly like Matt to your point. Um, and I, I think that it is interesting to fail at uh, a remix and realize that the band just really nailed it. That that's actually kind of beautiful. Well, totally. And, and, and the, you know, and that the two things can coexist. Um, cause on that point, I mean, yeah, as a <clears throat> big, big deal in your head, I, I'd also be very interested in hearing all the, uh, all the subsequent uh, uh, Dillinger albums with Dimitri singing. <laughs> to, to go back to me being an early teenager. Um, but yeah, they were definitely a, a big part of my uh, late teens. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. It, it, but, but the point being is that it's not, that these things need not be like uh, extractive or deleterious, right? It's like absolutely, you know, the, the choice of a particular group of people uh, in the case of Dillinger Escape Plan uh, at that particular group, at that particular time, also being like an insane live band, let's be real, right? Like okay. to actually execute the, the kind of music that they make in a live environment in real time is unbelievable, you know? Like they're, like music has so much so much going for it that sometimes, I think Holly, you said this one time, and, and it stuck with me, is just like, sometimes we undervalue music by... Or we under we undervalue music by believing that you know that it is so vulnerable to to all this experimentation. You know that the in actuality it's not. It's just like you know the, these two things will coexist and 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 and, and both can augment each, uh, each other. Yeah, humans in one place in time will always determine what we value in music. And so when oh. there's a sphere that machines will take it from us, it seems a little silly to me because it's humans who are the listeners uh, until we purely make music for machines to listen to. I don't think they're going to take music from us. <laughs> so on yeah, that point, I, though, I they can do a, do a day plan show. There's, they got nothing. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, totally. Well, well, it seems like you're trying very hard with this Berlin band. You're checking <laughs> cheese pot. They're going to take over. <laughs> exactly. The, the Dillinger, the Dillinger, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan Chuck E. Cheese bots uh, uh, <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> I, can see the, I can see them being into that. Um, the, so, so on this point, because uh, you know, we've we've this has been actually a wonderful conversation. I love how uh, how how free it's been. It's it's also just so cool to talk to you both about these things because you know, there's there's not that many people we can talk to about this stuff. So it's really nice. Um, the in terms of timelines, I think you know. Uh, for, for people listening, you know, one one of the frustrations we have is often that this stuff is always kind of placed in future category, right? And it's 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 really unusual because we're sitting here being like, no, 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 guys, like, like it's, it's happening. This is happening right now. Like we're you know a couple of weeks away from this big thing launching. We're a couple. You know, we're always a couple of weeks away from something really significant happening. In terms of let's say um, outside of all the interesting aesthetic possibilities of different networks and techniques. Like, what's your internal timeline for when this is going to really, you know, uh, really cross over? And by that, I mean, like, you know, really high sample rate, really kind of clean audio, that this kind of like push toward imperceptibility that we're seeing more in, let's say, the image generation space than we have seen in the audio space. Like, what's your feeling on that? Like, yeah, what's your timeline? Uh, Honestly, right now, uh, Rave is like really good. Uh, and and it's re- really accessible for uh, for you know for an academic project. Uh, so if, yeah, if you're coming into the space, like jump on rave right now. It's re- it's real time. You can 
they, they just released a, a Google Colab, so you can, you can train it in the browser with free GPU. Um, you could, you know, use your own training data. You could, you know, like 20 to 120 minutes uh, or more of, of, of data is going to work. Um, it, it's, it's high fidelity, you, can, you know, 48 kilohertz. We, we just trained a bunch on like bass music, like modern EDM production, and it works. Uh, and also you can export it to VST through Newtone. Um, and you can, um, uh, bring it into your DAW and use it like a style transfer. Uh, it, you, you could beatbox through it. I was beatboxing through a jazz drumming machine yesterday and it sounded great. <laughs> um, and so yeah, the, the time is now, I think just people aren't, aren't aware that there are like really good tools that, you know, you don't need to be a programmer. You don't need to know about, know about Python. Um, uh, just need to get, get some auxiliary skills, like knowing how to clone a GitHub repo, um, and run a few, some code in Google collab and just seeing the proliferation of creative coders last year with, you know, using those same auxiliary skills through image. Um, I don't think, yeah, it's going to be very quickly adopted like very soon. So yeah, if you're listening, and you want and you want to do that? Just go, yeah, you know, go for it. What's stopping you? <laughs> yeah, check out Rave. Yeah, we need to have uh, Hector Sismos on the pod, um, who I know has been doing a lot of cool work with Rave. And shout out Earcam. Earcam keeps popping back up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. They're 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 always in the game. They're always they're always pushing and doing crazy crazy stuff. That's like that really warms my heart. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and, and Antoine and Philippe have also been advising us. Um, and they're just re- really brilliant, really o- open, um, and just, yeah, love the attitude. Yeah, what a cool institution. Uh, to take a step back from the kind of music tech-focused world, I think we'll see websites like Never Before Heard Sounds uh, have AI-built tools right in the browser that will be really accessible, no GitHub cloning, VST knowledge needed. And then beyond that, I mean, we can't, be more than a couple years from these being in more creator tools and social media tools. So yeah, so ByteDance has acquired um, AI music companies basically to start working on creator tools as well. Um, and I think that they're just going to be in all of that uh, basic social media tools that we'll have soon. Yeah, we actually just had uh, Hanoi previously of Magenta, now of TikTok, uh, on the pod. So yeah, and never for her tense. They're they're you know very very, very close very very close friends of the pod. Um, yeah, it's it's all it's all happening. Well, like, do you all want to talk about the a, the song competition at all, or does that not feel relevant to this? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Was, well, let's was, do it because because that was nuts. I have to say, your contribution <laughs> to this year's AI song contest is nuts. <laughs> also, the choirs sound incredible. <laughs> Genuinely, they sound so good. Walk us through it. Oh, yeah. So um, I think one of the best things about being an AI music group is that music collaborations come very easy. Like, it's <laughs> easier to approach artists as a computer scientist, AI researcher, than as an actual musician. Mm-hmm. Like, we will cold email bands we like, and m- most of the time we get back a positive response. Um which is just incredible. And, you know, may, may, I think may, maybe there's a short window before this stuff is like super, super available. Um, so yeah, I, I encourage people to actually, you know, re- reach out to your idols and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. so this time we worked with two, two like 
bands that we love. One is uh, Volvadinia. They're South Africa's um, one of their best slam death bands. Uh, you know, not, not, ma- not many bands come out of South Africa, like can, uh, can reach the international touring. And they're, they're one of them. Um, and they're just amazing, nice people. We actually met in mid journey. <laughs> they, they, they were, um, uh, the singer was generating like hilarious satirical content. I think my favorite was like, um, a, a black metal band on a, on a jolly ski adventure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, uh, you know, nuns in a mosh pit, and you know they, they had a a whole like meme channel on on a uh, meme page on Facebook called AI Generated Nonsense, where they were just you know putting out this hilarious content. Um, and and as we saw that nuns in a mosh pit, just the image was incredible, and that that became the inspiration for the for the song. Uh, so yeah, this this song we we also collaborated with uh, Pliny, um, like uh, Australia's, I I, you know, I I think the best living guitarist like totally tops uh like the speed metal totally tops the the shred guitarists of you know the the 80s and 90s uh, like joe satriani like tops all of that like because he has this finesse he's always always holding back you know he's not trying to show off everything he's got um and it's just it's just the most beautiful guitar playing so you know in and so he, he was on board. Uh, so, so we got these Titans and we had how many, Zach, how many neural nets do we use? Like eight different families of neural nets, right? Oh yeah. Almost a dozen total. If you include everything, I think. <laughs> yeah. We want to be prolific in the amount of like different tools that were going into this because the, the AI song contest contest is kind of like this, uh, time capsule of, of the research of the year. Um, so, so we, we threw everything that we're working on in there. Um, like, for example, we currently advise PhD students at uh, Queen Mary uh, University in London on building a Guitar Pro generator. Uh, so, yeah, Guitar Pro is a uh, tablature. It's got like, guitar-based drums. And they, tr- yeah, Pedro and Adarsh we, um, trained a transformer XL to generate tabs. Um, so we were using it to generate riffs, and those ended up in the songs as, as MIDI, and then we, like, resynthesized it. Um, uh, and you know, like that's, that was a whole PhD just for this w- the one riff that lasts fifteen seconds. <laughs> so it's like, it's like that um, happening over and over again. Uh, the conceptualer synthesis that's like another fifteen seconds, uh, and and also the quantum neural audio uh, synthesis. That, I think that was ten, like eight or ten seconds. Um, that's a whole other can of worms. We've been into yeah quantum machine learning and mm-hmm. using uh, quantum circuits uh, to build audio synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> this year has been hugely focused on new synthesis methods, new research that we don't know if it'll be large scale or jukebox level accessible to everybody. We just wanted to know what else we can do that people aren't looking at. And it was really cool to put it all together into a piece that people could enjoy, hopefully. And uh, that's sort of what I think was really rewarding about the AI song contest this year. Last year, we just ate pizza, fell asleep, rendered one punk rock song on jukebox and dumped it. Uh, that, that was it. But this year we really tried to take a hands-on very traditional production approach. Uh, and I thought that was just one of the more fun projects we had worked on together. 
Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's insane. I mean, it's definitely like an insanely maximalist uh, production to squeeze all that stuff in. But I, I appreciate it too. I, I can definitely relate to the like you know the music being some kind of a almanac or synthesis of all the different stuff you've been working on and seeing what comes out. <laughs> but the, the eight the, the the eight second the eight second examples of different uh, different techniques you've been developing though that's like that takes the cake. That's a new one. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely we're definitely going to link to that and wish you the best of luck we have a obviously hanoi is also in the final in the finalists right now so there's a all right yeah. so the audience will be uh will be torn between our we'll be torn uh, our recent yeah. guests yeah, both, both of us because yeah, honestly hanoi i think is our favorite as well um oh, okay, so yeah, cool. both of us <laughs> yep. i like this non- non-competitive spirit this is very nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, but it, it does. It sounds nuts. I wish we actually had had more time to discuss the quantum stuff because I I do have to say I don't fully understand it. I mean, I understand a little bit about about quantum computing, like the the bare minimum. Um, but that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. Maybe we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm building a we're building a browser based uh, quantum circuit parameterized audio synthesizer, uh, and yeah, I, I'll, I can show you some demos later, and you know, maybe in the yeah, in the future we can talk about it. Of course you're doing that. (laughs) Awesome. Can't wait to play with it. (laughs) Okay. Well, so, so before we, before we uh, depart, we ask everybody at the end of our podcasts, um, what interdependence means to them. Oh yeah. We we all need each other. We can't do it alone. (laughs) Great answer. <laughs> there's your eight second, your eight second uh, speed speed answer. Yeah, there's a whole philosophy PhD condensed yeah. to eight. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, well, I think inter- interdependence just um, maybe we're just the social creative singularity, and we don't need to worry about the machine inter- interdependence quite yet. But it all comes and flows from us, uh, no matter if it's technology or human. We as humans create technology, so we are all interdependent. Also a solid answer. I, I accept both. This is great. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, look, let, thank you so much. This has been really, really fun. The time has breezed by. I have a feeling with you two, it's going to be this thing that we're just going to need to check in like once a year and be like, okay, what's the current state of things over there at DataBots? <laughs> Holly's not on Discord that much. I'm like, I check in like every three days. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to do another in a a year from now. So sign us up. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, you're 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 always very welcome. And yeah, uh, much appreciated. Um, This has been super fun. And uh, yeah, chat soon. Have a good have a good week. Awesome. Love you guys. And thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.